Welcome everyone to Eric Explains podcast. Eric. Good evening or good morning to you. Eric, can I read you a quote with some redactions from an article in The Atlantic published in 2012? I would love to hear that. Okay. See if you can guess what this is referencing. Okay. Polls both by USA Today and Gallup have shown support for the redacted has increased the farther we've gotten away from it. 77% of people in 1989 thought the redacted was worth it. Only 47% felt that way in 1979. Hmm. And this is from the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. kind of a retrospective piece, a looking back piece. Um, it's, it's, still sort of foggy in my mind what kind of picture you're painting here but is this an object like something you purchase no they're they're talking about like an event something that happened i'll read you another quote okay this is from well i believe i took this from that same atlantic article they quote i believe an opinion piece from the los angeles sentinel written at the time around the time this event occurred. It would appear that the fathers of our nation would allow a few thousand hungry people to die for the lack of a few thousand dollars while they would contaminate the redacted and its sterility for the sake of progress, in quotes, and spend billions of dollars in the process while people are hungry, ill-clothed, poorly educated, if at all. Um, water. They're talking about the government spending billions of dollars on water? <laughs> spending billions of dollars on developing something. Okay, yeah. Eric, um, okay, I'll ask you another question. Yeah. When did my ancestors invent the aeroplane? In uh, the early 1900s. Yeah, do you remember what year? Kitty Hawk. That's the location. Uh, 19. It was before World War One. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was before the Titanic. Yeah. 1907, because seven's kind of a lucky number. I thought it was 1903. Okay. Yeah. But that sounds about right. To be honest, I didn't actually clarify that. If you type in first flight to Google, it says 1903. So I must have uh -huh. seen that recently. So today we're talking about the development of airplanes. No, I'm oh, still, sorry. this is still the intro. Okay. I'm leading you there slowly. A little foreplay yeah. for you, Eric. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So the, the airplane was invented in 1903. Right. When do you think that the Air Force, the United States Air Force was officially formed? The Air Force. Oh, well... I'm imagining that it was probably a byproduct of World War II. No, because it couldn't have been. Because the bombing of Pearl Harbor was in 1942, and there was a significant air fleet of some sorts by that time. So, True. I mean, I guess over the course of the two or three years that America waited to join World War II, they could have pieced together an air force. So I'll say 1939. 1939. So there, there were 
getting ready for, to prepare for going into World War II? Why, yeah, didn't, I you, why didn't you say World War I? Because you, you, you were clearly remembering the sky battles of World War I when you, when you yeah, were getting the dog when the fights. Was yeah. Mm, yeah. I guess I, I guess I just, I, I don't know when. I mean, I guess you must have had an Air Force by World War I, too, as well, then. Um, so the Air Force was formed officially on September 18th, 1947. Excellent. I was closer <laughs> guessing along the World War II timeline. Because what, before that, it just wasn't like an established part of the military? It was a separate service of the Navy. Okay. So it was under the Department of the Navy. Mm -hmm. So currently, the U.S., again, from, from here on out, if I say we, or if I make a mistake of saying whatever, like just, I'm referring to the U.S. government, the U.S. military. The Department of the Navy has two sort of equal sister branches, even today. Do you know what those are? Of the U.S. Navy. Yes, of the Department of Navy. Mm, I don't know. Please enlighten me. So one is the United States Navy, mm -hmm. and the other one is the United States Marine Corps. Okay. So those both fall under the Department of the Navy. Right. Can you guess what today's topic is, or are you still unsure? Uh, today's topic is... Whew. Spending billions of dollars on it. Is it the Air Force? You're closer. Not the Air Force. Was or, it a war? Not the Air Force. The Navy. Don't forget about the word force. The Naval Force. No. <laughs> the Navy I'm talking forces. about the formation of a new military uniform service. Don't forget about the word force. The Space Force. Space Force. Mm, yes, okay. And so the original topic that I was reading quotes to you about from the Atlantic article was talking about... About space travel. And more specifically... Um, going to the moon. 1969. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. so See, just, I, knew yeah. this, I knew this was the topic. I just w wanted to string listeners along. For right, bit, right. So Let's give them the opportunity right to, to play along. Mm -hmm. um, good job, Eric. We're very, very amicable. Not amicable. Very magnanimous of you, Eric. <laughs> Isn't that one of the vitamins I take in the morning? Magnesium, well, magnesium, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that living in today's world, it's easy to assume that things have always been the way they are. And the opinions of past events have always been the way they are. The NASA program in general, the, the, the race to the moon was apparently quite unpopular during the 1960s. And that was because there were many domestic issues and the government was spending a lot of money on that program. Right. Right. But they were also in the middle of a cold war where nuclear demise was at everybody's doorstep. True. True. So the United States recently got a new president and- mm -hmm. It's usually during this time that one would look back at the previous presidency and create some opinions about what things, well, we'll say he, because it's only been he so far, what things he did well and what things maybe he didn't do so well. And mm -hmm. it's always very subjective. And of course, this instance, this iteration of that is quite different, the conversations we're having. Sure. I, uh, I have read a few articles that mention that maybe this aspect that you're getting to is that there was a significant amount of funding directed back towards 
space agencies over the past four years? Um, We'll get to the budget. That's the end of my file here on page eight. Mm -hmm. But maybe we'll, we'll dip into it a little earlier if we need to. Because that's something that, again, I don't have all the answers. I... I have the National Defense Budget. It's a 308-page PDF. It's the National Defense Budget Estimates for mm-hmm. fiscal year 2021. And I also have the one for fiscal year 2020. Okay. I saw a bunch of different figures. It's really hard to get an answer when you're typing into Google, like military budget 2020, Air Force budget 2021, Space Force budget because it's essentially all itemized. Like there's no there's no point in this entire 308 page PDF that says Space Force budget for 2021. It's all just estimates. Right. So and maybe maybe we'll get to this later, but I'm sort of under the impression that similar to other industries, the air the Space Force mm-hmm. originally was a federal institution and maybe, I don't know, maybe this is more relevant to Canada, but like our airlines were a a federal organization for a long time. And then we sort of privatized. And from what I've seen over the past, I don't know, five, 10 years, it seems like NASA to a certain extent has been contracting out a lot of its work with like. So yeah, so let's not confuse NASA and Space Force, first of all, because they're different things. Oh, I think you're right. Space Force is part of the military. Right. Space Force is very much nationalized. It's very much military. Mm-hmm. NASA still exists separately. I'm sure there's some communication going on between the two and mm. poaching of scientists and engineers and, and some back and forth. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're speaking to is the privatization of space travel, which has been increasing exponentially over the past few years. And we can probably assume is going to continue to take a much, much larger share of the total pie chart of space exploration and the commercialization of space travel right yeah so that's that's a a key so okay i'll just go with like why i chose this topic because i really feel that from the moment donald trump announced he wanted to create the space force there was just this piling on of criticism and it always went to the extent of like oh you want to create some star wars you know pew, 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 laser fights and it was all, like all the late night guys were joking that way and there was always a part of me that was like well are we sure that the space force is a bad idea again speaking generally i think in, in my personal views as a human i'm never in favor of an increased military i'm always more in favor of peace and spending spending our funds on education mm-hmm. and healthcare. but if if i may speak just as an American who lives in this world where war does exist. Mm. And if the object, if the objective is for America to maintain its power, maintain its military might, it seems kind of obvious to me that the next platform would be space. The next frontier. The next frontier. And that even if we're not necessarily exploring there in mass or traveling there, or having Star Wars pew, 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 laser fights, we're already having some type of conflicts in space through sure. information and technology, right? So why wouldn't we want to increase our power? And on top of that, as you mentioned, we literally have today private companies going into space. Right. 
So to a certain extent, that realm needs to be policed. And again, speaking as maybe not necessarily myself, but as an American who would root for the health of my country, I would rather have the American military doing that than the Chinese military. Mm -hmm. And we've all seen Independence Day, so we need some kind of military force that can deal with large asteroids plummeting towards Earth at some point, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a real thing too. <laughs> no, I'm serious. There, there. Uh, if you haven't heard it, I would recommend that you go back. There was a Planet NPR Planet Money podcast episode. I believe it was older, but usually around Christmas time because everyone takes vacations, they re-upload old episodes, old popular episodes. And so I think this one was originally from maybe 2015 or something, but it deals with that very aspect mm. of. And they had a couple of economists on and a, maybe a scientist or something. And, and someone there mentioned that it would only cost around $500 million to secure the earth from that asteroid, the, right. the Armageddon type asteroid. It wouldn't actually take people to go there. And to be honest, I didn't see Armageddon. I, I assume Bruce Willis like put some dynamite on it or something and then sacrificed himself. S sorry, spoiler alert from guy who's never seen the movie. Um, but, <laughs> but basically what they described is something more like it, it, it would just be some detection system and you don't even really have to destroy the asteroid. You would just need to launch some projectile and even just very slightly nudge it off of its course, course. so that it goes by the earth rather than straight into Manhattan. Right. right. Yeah. I imagine that our calculations are so precise at this point that it is not, yeah. not necessarily a simple task, but we don't, we don't have the technology, like we don't have the system for that. And of course, by the time we detected that asteroid, it would be too late. And so of course, the reason why I believe they re-uploaded this podcast episode was because we're dealing with that 1% disaster in the pandemic, right? The thing that we should have prepared for, but nobody wanted to because right. it's unlikely. It's the 100-year flood. And of course, these mm -hmm. days we're seeing 100-year floods every five years, right? right. So, and they likened it, I think they had a couple of economists on that likened it to sort of a, a married couple playing a game of chicken about cleaning the kitchen because everyone benefits from it, but nobody wants to actually do the work. So all of the countries internationally are saying, well, you pay for it. And then when the asteroid comes, you... You, take care of it. And then also right. we'll, we'll not die from that. Yes. But currently that's not what the space force is doing. In my mm -hmm. imagination, I, I believe that the space force should, if, if we're going to have this grow into that and take responsibility for those kinds of things. So in, in my mind, that's a part of my rationalization <laughs> for when I'm listening to those late night comedians and thinking, well, you know, are we sure? But mm -hmm. apparently that's not actually what they're doing now. So do they have like a, a a mantra, a motto? What is the what is the slogan for the the space force? They didn't do a great job of branding. I, I think a lot of the criticism came because a it was just Donald Trump, and they probably didn't do a very good job of describing the necessity of all of this. And also, they called it the space force. I'm I'm not really sure. It is the it is the Air Force, so we've already accepted the word force. I'm not really sure what they should have called it if they had called it the Space Corps. Mm. Uh, maybe it would have been better received. One thing that I think they probably didn't help themselves with 
is that the enlisted service people are called guardians, which just clearly sounds like guardians of the galaxy, the galaxy. which again <laughs> makes you think of people riding around in spaceships and everyone thinks it's so ridiculous because, and, and I think the thing we, we the, the reason why people probably assume it's so ridiculous is because you think about kind of, again, the cost versus the potential of what good they're doing. So what's, what's the potential of an alien attack? Less than mm. one-tenth of 1%. One How much does it cost to have people flying around in spaceships all the time? Billions, mm. trillions of dollars, right? But again, that's not really a realistic representation of what the Space Force is mm. doing. Now, I mean, I know you mentioned it's sort of being like a national project and thinking about it as like, if you can pick and choose, you'd prefer to have America be the, the Space Force than China be the Space Force. And I know that's sort of been like still part of what we work with in, in terms of togetherness today is like a lot of nationalism. And maybe there's sort of like some slip in, in aiming towards more globalization. But I don't know, do you know to what extent there's talk of a more global space force or like a UN-led space force? I didn't come across anything like that. And if anything, the tea leaves indicate it's probably moving the other direction. So mm -hmm. you're, you're Canadian. What's going on up there above the ice with all of the territory disputes because the ice is melting and now there's new shipping routes becoming available and it's it's what the US of A and Canada and, and Russia and Norway and yeah. yeah. I think that's probably closer to what it is. There's new territory and everyone is trying to stake a claim. So again, when I mentioned I'd rather have it be the US than China, that's not necessarily my opinion as a citizen of the earth. That's me putting on my hat of an American. And if I'm rooting solely for the success of my motherland, but right. Maybe we should clear up the budget thing first. So, okay, no. We'll go into the uniformed services. I, I want to I briefly cover that. So there are eight U.S. uniformed services, and all of these fall under a certain department. So there's the Department of Defense, which covers five of those uniformed services. So under the Department of Defense, there's the Department of the Army, which has the United States Army. Mm -hmm. Then there's the Department of the Navy, which, as we mentioned, has the United States Marine Corps and the United States Navy. And then there's the Department of the Air Force, which has the United States Air Force. And as of December 20th, 2019, the United States Space Force. Mm -hmm. According to Wikipedia, the United, I'll read here, the United States Space Force and United States Air Force are both co-equal sister service branches under the United States Department of the Air Force, a civilian-led military department under the Department of Defense. So I think you could probably just control C, control V, that description for the Navy and Marine Corps as well. Right. Three others as well. We have the United States Department of Homeland Security, which covers the United States Coast Guard, the United States Department of Health and Human Services, which has the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps, Mm -hmm. And the United States Department of Commerce, which has the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Commissioned Officer Corps. That's all eight uniformed services. Incredible. So budget, again, hard to get exact numbers, but I'll just tell you the general sense I have. If you just go to Wikipedia, they have 2019 
Department of Army, $182 billion. Mm-hmm. Department of the Navy, $194 billion. Department of um, the Navy. Yeah. These are large dollar amounts. I'm yes. wondering, are there uh, percentages of GDP relatable there? Or do you just have the, the number figure? Uh, Google, I'll, I'll tell you Google's first answer. It says in 2019, the U.S. spent 3.4% of its GDP. Okay. So I'm guessing in 2020, the U.S. had a, sl- I think they had a slight GDP decrease, or maybe it was like a 0.1% increase. It, it was around zero. So I'm sure mm-hmm. that number, maybe it's like 3.8% now. Right. Um, okay. So all of them are slightly under $200 billion. Again, I'm not saying this is the right way to spend our money. I'm just saying this is what the budget was. Mm -hmm. So let's look at the Department of the Navy. $194 billion. That was the estimated budget, I guess, for 2019. I tried to find what amount of that went to the Marine Corps. And so I believe, again, this is all rough, but the Marine Corps' estimated budget for 2021 is $46 billion. So we can assume that around 25% of that 194 for the Navy goes to the Marine Corps and the rest goes to the Navy, right? Okay. And I'm sure there's some sharing of facilities and things, but mm-hmm. this is from uh, an article published on spaceforce.mil. So I believe that's probably short for military. The Department of the Air Force released a $169 billion budget proposal February 10th. So again, here it's already different, right? Because Wikipedia says 194 billion, whereas the Space Force website says 169. But, you know, we'll go with this. Which for the first time includes funding for the newly created Space Force, U.S. Space Force, sorry, while also focusing funds to help both services modernize, address threats from Russia and China, and sustain readiness. The spending plan for fiscal year 2021 carries a $900 million increase from the previous year. But unlike 2020, funding for 2021 is apportioned differently, with $153.6 billion directed to the Air Force and $15.4 billion for the Space Force. And so this is where, again, I'm not saying it's a good idea to spend $200 million on one department, one branch of the military, but... I don't think the argument of you're wasting money creating the Space Force is accurate because... They basically just reorganized the budget. The Space Force as currently operating... And again, I'm sure the plan now is to continue to expand and probably increase the budget for it. Mm -hmm. Which again, wearing my US citizen hat, I personally think probably isn't a terrible idea. But we're not just taking $15 billion from school children and creating a new military branch. This, this, this was already existing in its current form, as far as I can tell, essentially since 1982. Right. So the military budget is inclusive in and of itself, and this is just how they're allotting the funds under that. So key point number one, the Space Force isn't even a new thing. It's a rebranding. Mm-hmm. Here, also from Wikipedia, initially formed as Air Force Space Command... On September 1st, 1982, the Space Force was established as an independent military branch on the 20th of December, 2019, with the signing of the United States Space Force Act, part of the National Defense Authorization Act for 2020. 
So it essentially just kind of became what the Marine Corps is to the Navy. But even by comparison, the Marine Corps budget is like three times bigger than the Space Force, which one could even argue is somewhat illogical because you would think that, you know, pew, 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 laser fights in space should probably cost more money. Sure. You could even make the argument that it goes back further than that. I didn't go into details about this is sort of when my my brain capacity started redlining when I was reading about the details of what the Space Force is doing. But yeah. I think you can essentially break down the Space Force into two like compartments. One is the Space and Missile System Center, and the other is Space Operations Command. And if you're really curious about this, you can go on Wikipedia and there's descriptions about what they're doing and where they're located. And they have lists of uh, where all the bases are. Essentially, I think they're just using Air Force bases and setting up operations there. But the first component there, the Space and Missile, uh, Space and Missile System Center, draws back to something called the Western Development Division, which was created in 1954. So even before JFK's space program, you could say that the seeds for the Space Force had already been laid in the, um, laid, laid in the US military. Right, yeah, I mean, well beyond us entering life on earth as we know it. Yeah, but I, I just think it's it's important to point out that whether or not you're for or against this new branch of the military, it's not a new thing. It already existed. It's not even really new money. Going mm -hmm. forward, there might be more money, fund, more funding for it than there would have been had it still just been a kind of discrete part of the Air Force. But as of today, it, it really hasn't even led to any increased military budget. Right. Yeah, and for, I mean, I guess for argument's sake that, that's still providing people with a form of employment, uh, a form of employment that requires sophisticated education, I suppose, to be a member of the the space force to a certain degree. And yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, so far, so far, probably not. It seems like mostly they were all reassigned from the air force. Okay. That that was an argument that I think still, or or discussion that still could probably be had even about the NASA space program because. Yes, it created jobs and created new technology, but there was actually a significant protest in the African-American community at the time. And I think the argument was that like, yes, it creates jobs, but it only creates certain jobs for a certain kind of people, right? Right. Helping feed the hungry necessarily. Mm -hmm. I'll read again from Wikipedia. All, uh, on December 20th, 2019, all members of the former Air Force Space Command were assigned to the United States Space Force members of the United States Army and United States Navy, United States Marine Corps and United States Air Force are also to be detailed to the Space Force. There are currently 16,000 individuals assigned to the Space Force. And I believe the breakdown of that is 13,590 assigned airmen, whatever that means, and 2,501 guardians of the galaxy. How many guardians of the galaxy? 2,501. Ooh, that one guy snuck in after the 2,500 cutoff. I bet it's not real. I, it, it, it reminds me of my, I don't even know which, which history teacher this was. It may be in middle school, but they would always say, in the Holocaust, it wasn't 6 million people that died. It was 6 million and one. Because they really wanted to emphasize that Everybody each of those six, that 6 million people were, were one person, one individual. It, it's very easy to just brush over a, a big number like six 
Jeff mm. Bezos doesn't have $150 billion. He has $150 billion and $1. Like, wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> um, mm. Oh, I also, I think I forgot to mention that the Space Force is the world's first independent Space Force. So uh, maybe other countries' militaries have space operations, but they don't have their own independent military mm. branch. Publicly announced, at least, anyway. Right. Again, from Wikipedia here, the Space Force consists of, yeah, 2,501 personnel, which we know is referring to the Guardians, and operates 77 air spacecraft, sorry, not aircraft, spacecraft, mm -hmm. including the Boeing X-37B and the Global Positioning System. So the Boeing X-37B is a spacecraft. It's a reusable spacecraft. And I did a quick YouTube search on this i found a video from 2017 so all this information is three or four years old but in this video it says that the boeing x-37b had recently completed its 10th launch so as of three or four years ago it, it, it had only launched 10 times each mission lasting longer than the last with the most recent being over two years i believe it's an unmanned uh, spacecraft okay all missions are classified only information about two missions has been released. One, that there was some sort of material science experiment. And the other was referred to as an ion thruster for future space propulsion. Yes. Which we'll get into a little bit later because another article I saw did mention the idea. The ion of, thrusters. Not ion thruster. Have you heard of the ion thruster? Yeah, they're super cool. Would, can you speak to them at all? Because I, I don't really know exactly how that works. It's basically like a super low energy required engine that over time it it accelerates extremely slowly. Okay. But if you if you it continues to accelerate at that pace. So mm -hmm. after a year, you know, over a day you might be going two kilometers an hour, maybe. But once you get to a year of having that mm -hmm. ion thruster running, you're going at like extremely high speeds because this ion thruster is continuously putting out just a small amount of energy barely using ener any energy mm -hmm. but over time exponentially it's growing more rapid and rapid right yeah that that's interesting i to be honest I, i'm sure i could have taken a deeper dive into that to find out what that is but the thing that i was speaking about in another article i saw i'll get to in a little bit they did mention the idea of potentially the moon or even Mars acting as kind of a pit stop or a, a, a refueling center for traveling and exploring farther and farther into space. And it made me just the layman a little confused because I, I think what I thought of originally was like Apollo 13, when the whole idea being that once you get the momentum going, you leave the earth's atmosphere and you get the momentum and then you just, you want to keep that momentum. So the, like, why would you want to stop on the moon and then have to propel yourself again. But perhaps mm. this ion thruster becomes the opportunity for that. Yeah, I so, guess it's a, a mix of once you have a base on the moon, launching something from there becomes much less fuel con consumptive, fuel consuming that's probably than launching better. from Earth. <laughs> okay, GPS. Eric, what is GPS? Global positioning system. Yeah. What is it though? Uh, it uses trigonometry and satellites to 
calculate your location on the earth. So I think I thought GPS was just the name for, for that, for, for that thing. Like GPS is just the name for a cell phone or a vehicle navigation system, accessing satellites and positioning. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the name of the U.S. owned version of that, which was the first. Okay. So are there that, other GPS systems that are GPSs, but they're not called GPSs? Yes, exactly. Um, the GPS, this is from Wikipedia. The GPS project was started by the U.S. Department of Defense in 1973 with the first prototype spacecraft launched in 1978 and the full constellation of 24 satellites operational in 1993. Mm. Originally limited to use by the United States military, civilian use was allowed from the 1980s following an executive order from President Ronald Reagan. The GPS service is provided by the United States government, which can selectively deny access to the system, as happened to the Indian military in 1999 during the Cargill War. As a result, several countries have developed or are in the process of setting up other global regional satellite navigation systems. The Russian Global Navigation Satellite System, GLONASS, I'm going to emphasize the ass there because it's funnier, and it's was glowing. developed contemporary contemporaneously with gps but suffered incomplete coverage of the globe until the mid 2000s china's beidou i believe Mm b-e-i-d-o-u beidou navigation satellite system began global service in 2018 and finished its full deployment in 2020 there are also the european union galileo positioning system india's Nav IC, Navic, maybe. Japan's quasi zenith satellite system, aka QZSS, is a GPS satellite based augmentation system to enhance GPS's accuracy in the Asian area. Hmm. Independent of GPS, sorry, with a satellite navigation independent of GPS scheduled for 2023. So the nowadays most people have their own smartphone mm-hmm. are the I'll I'll call them location tracking services on most cell phones GPS as per like the American created GPS or would they be cell phones that utilize these other global positioning systems now? Right. So I think probably up until recently, it was all using the GPS, the American owned American American military GPS technology. Hmm. But imagine what kind of data the the U.S. government is collecting from that, right? Yeah. And now that is, I'm assuming, starting to change. I'm guessing Hmm. now that when you go to China, you're using the Biadao system. Right. right? Probably in Russia since the mid-2000s, you're using the GLONASS system. Hmm. Okay. I believe you asked me about the Space Force motto. Yeah. or, Or doctrine. Hit me with it. On the 10th of August, 2020, the Space Force released its capstone doctrine entitled Space Power, Doctrine for Space Forces. Again, I think they have branding issues, but... Pew, pew, pew! (laughs) Pew, pew, pew! The Space Force's five core competencies. Competencies. The Space Force's Mm. five core competencies. I was really worried about saying that word. Space security, 
combat power protection, space mobility and logistics, information mobility, and space domain awareness. The space power doctrine for space forces also lists the seven space power disciplines required for the core competencies, which are mm. orbital warfare, space electromagnetic warfare, space battle management, space access and sustainment, military intelligence, cyber operations, and engineering and acquisitions. That's one. That's the seventh. Engineering and acquisitions. Hmm. So this is where my, my brain capacity started redlining. So it's like, well, I get GPS. Yeah. What does this all mean? So right. I found an article from NPR in 2019. And I'll, I'll read this for you. And part of, part of this is just from the NPR article. And part of it is quotations from a man named Todd Harrison, who mm -hmm. directs the Aerospace Security Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Okay. It will create a centralized, unified chain of command that is responsible for space. Because ultimately, when responsibility is fragmented, no one's responsible, he added. Military mm -hmm. systems in space provide crucial information to the troops. For example, GPS satellites help the military hit targets precisely. Satellites gather intelligence, detecting things like missile launches. They're also used for communication and collect data on the weather. It's worth pointing out a few things the Space Force will not do. And this is a quote from Harrison again. It's mm -hmm. not about putting military service members in space. It has nothing to do with NASA. It's not about protecting the Earth from asteroids or aliens, said Harrison. So again, I disagree with the last part. I think that the Space Force should expand into protecting the Earth from, from asteroids. Mm -hmm. But it seems like the Space Force's job, as currently made up, is mostly about information, weather patterns, accuracy, and also, if we're thinking about actual warfare, and I don't know how they do this, but protecting our satellites or the private companies of the U.S.'s satellites from mm -hmm. cyber attacks or even maybe perhaps physical attacks, claiming domain. We still don't know who has a right. You know, right now, it's just, it's, it's just the wild, wild west, right? Anyone can launch anything, and then it's just up there forever. Mm -hmm. Eventually, there's going to be so much space junk yeah, somebody to regulate that. And again, with my U.S. citizen hat on, probably, unless, you know, the U.N. can get their act together, whatever it would be, as you mentioned. But mm -hmm. it's interesting to think that someday, you know, like they've tried to create these floating structures that collect all the plastic and junk that's floating around in the yeah. oceans now to collect, you know, yeah. at least a little bit of what's out there. That someday there might be like this giant thing just like orbiting the Earth, collecting well, also, my, my created ashes junk. will be out there as well. I thought you were going with the fireworks. Well, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Half and half? I'm going to be in orbit until they can get the ion thruster built and then propel me into the sun. That was what okay. I was Okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay. And so that's... The, the, the big thing here, too, is we're already seeing the privatization of space travel and of satellite technology... Just like when the automobile was invented, the aircraft was invented, 
eventually it becomes so popular and eventually inexpensive enough that the use increases and we have a, have a, a need for regulation. We, regulation. we need stop signs and, and air traffic yeah. control towers and things like that, right? Speed limits and speed limits, right? Mm -hmm. So this is all from the World Economic Forum. There's a really cool article that sort of lays out how many satellites exist. And it's from April, 2020. There's like so. hundreds of thousands of them now, aren't there? No, no, no. Um, well, not, not according to this, at least. Okay. There will be soon, probably. So it says right now there are nearly 6,000 satellites circling our tiny planet. About 60% of those are defunct satellites. Space Ew. junk. And That's roughly need. Yeah. And but roughly 40% are operational. So mm -hmm. according to the Union of Concerned Scientists, UCS, there are 2,666 operational satellites which circled the globe in April of 2020. Now I'll mention to you, that number has already increased significantly, mm -hmm. mostly because of our buddy Elon Musk. Yes. Um, I think we just saw, I don't know if we got like a thing in the mail or if my dad saw it online, but the, the price breakdown for the new internet service provided by. Yeah, I, I saw something on that. Um, it's, it's in beta and I believe there's some initial setup fee that's a few hundred dollars. Yeah, it's, it's like six hundred dollars for the the satellite receiver right. or whatever, and then it's like a hundred. It's a hundred bucks a month. It's hundred bucks a yeah. month. Yeah. See, what I'm curious about is kind of what we're seeing now with currency exchange, like forex, and there's all these new systems. And if we're going to talk about whatever intrinsic value that cryptocurrency has, I mean, because to me, it's always like, well, it's speculative because it's not actually being used for transactions, right? Except on the black market. But it does take some of that regulatory power away from governments because it's a currency that's not owned or printed by a government. So it becomes, it, it makes money mm -hmm. much more borderless, right? And so that's one thing that's always really annoying about travel is you either take your Canadian carrier with you and pay a bunch of money. It's like $10 per day to Rome or whatever, depending or you get a local service there and lose your phone number and all these things, right? So if we're fantasizing about becoming digital nomads, you know, if we move to Bermuda for a year, sure, you just get a, you know, sign up with a local telecom company there. But if you're really being a, a nomad, which means mm -hmm. you're constantly traveling, I think I could convince myself to pay $100 a month to not worry about borders and have constant internet access. Now, if whether or not SpaceX is actually able to work that out and whether or not local governments are able to block that access to protect their local telecom companies. I don't know, right. mm. but we're definitely seeing it trending yeah. one way and not the other. Um, Elon Musk lived in Canada for a while. His wife's Canadian. He's, he's South African Canadian and American, I believe. Yeah. And eventually a Martian. Yeah. <laughs> a quad citizen. <laughs> Out of the two, back to the, to the WEC, out of the 2,666 operational satellites, 1,007 were for communication service, 446 are used for observing the earth, uh, 97 for navigation and GPS purposes. Over the coming decade, Euroconsult estimates that 990 satellites will be launched every year. This means that by 2028, 
there could be 15,000 satellites in orbit. So again, we only have not even 3,000 operational right now, and they're mm -hmm. estimating that 1,000 will be launched each year. So right. we haven't even started yet. Like, this is just beginning now. Think yeah. about how reliant our lives are already on these satellites with the aforementioned GPS and cell phone technology and everything. And we're, we're, it's still very, very nascent, right? Mm -hmm. um, as a, so I, I believe these numbers are including government and private satellites. As of April, 2020, I'm sure you can guess which country had the most satellites. The US of A. Yes, 1,308. Mm -hmm. Followed Soon by- to change. Sorry? Soon to change. Already has changed. This is as of mm -hmm. April, 2020. Followed by China. China, 356. Followed by? Yeah, then I'm in this mental tug of war between Japan and India. You're forgetting about the, uh, the, the GLONASS. Russia, Russia. Was it GLONASS? What was it called? <laughs> yeah, the GLONASS. Okay. Um, 167, followed by? Can I choose one of my the two The original traits? imperialists. Uh, the UK. UK, 130. Japan, 78. And then Canada has some piece of the rest, which is 627. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming Canada has its own satellites, right? I didn't find any info on that, but. Yeah. Okay, now, are again, you, I, yeah. Are you, are you familiar with Chris Hadfield? Or Remind do I only please. know him because I'm Canadian? That would be a great podcast, by the way. Just like, which, which Canadians do I know because they're legitimately worldwide famous? And which ones do I know because they're Canadian famous? He's legitimately famous. He's, uh, he, he might've been surpassed now, but I think he spent the longest period up in space. Oh. I think it was like six months. Yeah, but you know- He was one of the people that was like, in, go up and spend this amount of time and right. come back and we'll run all the bodily tests and like see how much you've changed kind of thing. But this is one of those things where I think about this sometimes where there's a specific industry or career or field. And then I think like, how do I not know? Like, I, I guess Anthony Fauci is a good example. Like, like there should be 10 really famous disease experts that everyone knows that, that are household names, right? And, you know, if I ask myself, how many, how many NASA astronauts' names do I know? And it's, it's really still just like Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. I don't, I don't think I could tell you another right. one. Um, John we, Glenn. We, we, we yeah. just had um, an ex-astronaut get in trouble in Canada, but we won't get Canceled? into that. Yeah, he spent... Um, Chris Hadfield has spent a total of 166 days in space, which I think is a large amount still. Yeah. Um, you reminded me that this was completely unrelated, but I think about a year ago, I came across some article questioning whether or not anyone had ever had sex. Was, it, was this, were we talking about this? Whether or not anyone had ever yeah. had sex in space? And I found, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was in our group chat. And I found an article from like, where there was some mission in like 1994 where a married couple had been on the same mission and they vehemently denied it was, it's policy. Apparently they vehemently denied that, that they had never done any hanky panky, but I, I mean, how could you miss that opportunity? Right? Yeah. But these are different calibers of people. I guess. <laughs> I think they probably trained enough to be able to suppress those desires. Okay. But Eric, they they're also there. scientists, right? And, True. They're they're up there literally seeing what happens when you plant a seed. Our scientists in space like, versus on Earth. Like, imagine how many answers we could we could we could find 
by seeing saying, what happens when you fornicate you, in space. Are you saying scientists are like athletes at the Olympics? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that they're in space for a year and they have scientific brains. And eventually they would say, well, for the sake of science, shouldn't we just to see if we discover something? Yeah. But you know what? They're probably not there yet. Like there's probably a certain amount of hypothesizing mm -hmm. and pre-experimentation that needs to happen before right. you. And also just too, too, many, too many other variables. You can't... What might be interesting to look up is if they've taken animals to the space station for breeding. Because yeah. I imagine that's maybe something they've done and that they would do that before allowing anybody, any like human Like maybe, maybe the, the, the panda gets much more aroused in zero gravity and that's the way to, to save <laughs> No, just to see like, just to see what would happen to, to the offspring. <laughs> Sorry to get us so off track. Are you saying that, that zero gravity would lead to more erections? <laughs> no, the development of the fetus inside Honey, it's the been womb. up the whole time. It won't go down. <laughs> Is that what brings it down, gravity? <laughs> okay. Um, where were we? <laughs> the, okay, yeah. So... I believe that that if we look at that 1,308 number for the total USA satellites, I believe that's government and private, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in July of 2020, July of last year, the FCC granted approval for Jeff Bezos's tech empire to launch and operate an internet constellation of 3,236 satellites. So the government granted this one company permission again they're not doing it all at once and that's Permi that permission to launch a number of satellites that was greater than the current number of operational satellites i don't know if the word worldwide applies here but atmosphere wide right right so if we're talking about exponential growth this is just one indication before that the federal communications commission again the fcc in november of 2018 approved spacex to launch 11,000 943 satellites, with the company aiming to deploy 4,425 satellites in orbit by 2024. And so I checked on this um, as of January 28th, so whatever, four days ago, they have already launched 1,023 satellites. Of those scheduled Yeah, launches. so those World Economic Forum numbers from April 2020, while very illuminating, are extremely out of date already. Mm -hmm outdated right. yeah okay are you ready for mining the moon this is the next yes category. for h hydrogen three right i didn't i didn't deep dive into it i just got more into like purpose motivation strategy right getting back to whether or not this will be a so i'm hand, i'm wondering holding hands teamwork or a nor northern territory shipping routes right territorial yeah. dispute thing because you had me thinking earlier with with the creation of um, a space force and thinking about protection and territory and expansion on a frontier or whatever, is there eventually going to be parts of the moon that are America and parts that are China and parts that are whoever else stakes claim to them? Yeah, all good questions. And again, with my U.S. citizen hat on, that's probably going to depend on... <laughs> 
who puts their their flag in the in the lunar rocks first, right? You're you're not cheering for South Korea. South Korea, yeah, sure. I I, I don't know how many satellites they have. I don't know if they have the uh, KPS. Uh, less than Canada, apparently. Maybe. Okay, this is from a phys.org article, phys.org, in March 2020. I'll read you about three paragraphs here. In 2015, the Obama administration signed the U.S. Commercial Space Launch Competitiveness Act into law. This bill was intended to facilitate, this is, this is quoting, Facilitate a pro-growth environment for the developing commercial space industry, end of quote there, by making it legal for American companies and citizens to own and sell resources that they extract from asteroids and off-world locations, parentheses, like the moon, Mars, or beyond. On April 6th, I don't know what year that's referring to, but anyway, on April 6th, the Trump administration took things a step further by signing an executive order that formally recognizes the rights of private interests to claim resources in space. This order titled, quotes here, encouraging international support for the recovery and use of space resources, end quote there, effectively ends the decades long, this is key, effectively ends the decades long debate that began with the signing of the Outer Space Treaty in 1967. So I, I didn't really look into what that was, but again, when you were asking about, is this going to be a cooperative effort? And I mentioned the tea leaves indicate not, this is what I was referring to. Mm. I think it's going to be a territorial race. This order builds, back to uh, quoting the phys.org article here, mm -hmm. this order builds on both the CSLCA and Space Directive 1, which the Trump administration signed into law on December 11th, 2017. It establishes that, quotes here, Americans should have the right to engage in commercial exploration, recovery, and use of resources in outer space consistent with ap applicable law, end of quote there, and that the United States does not view space as a, quote, global commons. I'll read that again, the last line. And that the United States does not view space as a global commons. Hmm. A BBC article from April 2020 on the same subject. According to Sarah Crudas Crudas, C-R-U-D-D-A-S, mining the moon will help humans travel further in space to places like Mars. Sarah is a space journalist and says the moon can be an intergalactic petrol station because it has the resources needed for rocket fuel, like hydrogen and oxygen. Having a petrol station in space means rockets can travel further into space before worrying about running out of fuel. Space law is developing. It's something that will change over time, Sarah says. No country can claim to own the moon, but currently it's like maritime law. If you go there, find it and mine it, it's yours to keep. Uh, another person in the article, I'm not sure, named Benjamin. Benjamin says, setting our sights on outer space may be inevitable because of climate change happening here on our earth. One of the arguments people make is space is the only place left to go because we'll eventually mess up our earth so much, he says. Hmm. It still just fascinates me that, that that's, the, that's the direction we go instead of saying, oh, maybe we should kind of like spend some time to fix things up here and yeah. then do the space thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. that makes me think of 
two separate TED Talks that I've seen. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the people's names. Mm-hmm. One of them asked that same question. Why not just not even clean things up, but why are we so fixated on living on Mars when we haven't even really fixated living on living in the deserts in the world? Like there's all these really barren parts of the world, the world that people don't really live mm-hmm. really cold or hot or places with soil that aren't fertile. Why don't we try to populate those areas first? If we're, if we're worried about like running out of space and resources, it would be much easier to tame those tundras than it would be to create life on Mars, right? At least on Earth, you, you always have oxygen and, and you're closer to resources and things. The other one was talking about actually living on Mars, the other TED Talk. And after I watched that TED Talk, and, and I'm sorry, I forget what it's called, but just if you Google TED Talk living on Mars, I'm sure you can find it. He basically makes the argument that we're going to live on Mars within the next century and that it would actually be quite easy to create some sort of sustainable system up there. You know, everyone would have to be a vegetarian. There, there's different s- certain sacrifices you'd have to make, but it's certainly possible. And the thing that kind of blew my mind when I thought about it was, and I'm not sure if the timelines would be exactly the same, but when you think about the Europeans that were first getting onto ships to move to the new world, as they referred to it, you have to imagine they really didn't know anything. They probably knew right. less about the new world than we know about Mars. Right? At, At that least, point in time, there yeah. was still I mean, They literally the thought there was like monsters or whatever. And, and or that facing... your, your boat would just fall off the edge of the right. earth. And you think, well, okay, how long was that ship ride? About three months. It's okay, you, you're getting on this boat, travel, this place. You don't even know if you'll get there safely. You don't know what's going to be there. And when you get there, you're there. Right. How long, how, how long are they expecting space travel to Mars to take? About three months. It's kind of essentially the same thing. Yeah. And like, are we, a we're lot not of even people a, on the boat. Yeah. We're not even a century from, what's the name of the book? Around the world in 80 days. Right, right. It's like, what? You mean, you mean eight hours or? Um, <laughs> Is that with connection flights or? Right, right. So... I mean, it's still actually traveling around the world in 80 days would still be an accomplishment, I think, because there's, so, land, many, sure. there's so many things you'd want to stop and see. But, but this is, again, when, when I go back to the mockery that was taking place of the Space Force, I'm not defending Donald Trump, but I, I do think that people and the media, specifically with certain political views, did and do sometimes make the mistake of just hating anything that Donald Trump does because it's Donald Trump without necessarily looking at what it is. Right. And that's part of one of the one big problem I have with a lot of news media and a lot of the ways we talk about politics and just Mm -hmm. relationships these days seems to be like we just pick these one or two people who are supposed to represent like an entire country. And we forget that there's like thousands of organizations that are constantly in operation throughout these changes of power. Like, like you said, the space force has existed for since the sixties, 40 years yeah, or since, yeah, since the early late seventies, early early eighties, like this isn't Trump's thing. Like he just happened to be sitting in that chair while everything was bubbling up underneath him. And it was just like, I'm not sure. I mean, I I think the, 
he may we, he may be responsible. I'm not sure if this was already in the works or not. I, I didn't find anything on that. He it may have become a separate branch because of him. May, may, he might deserve credit for that. Whether or not that that was even necessary, I don't know. But essentially, the funding and the personnel and what it's doing it, it was already it already existed. Right. Whether it was going to remain a less known yeah. part of the Air Force or was eventually going to become its own branch eventually anyway without yeah. Donald Trump. I don't know. There were always people in the military right. putting budgets together, planning. Yeah. They were already operating the GPS. What role. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So to me, all of this seems inevitable. We have private companies launching satellites into space. We are going to have eventually somewhat affordable commercial travel into space. And we're going to eventually have people living in, on Mars or, or on the moon potentially. Hmm. So I, I don't know if I could tell you what form it should take, what percent of the GDP should be directed toward this. But the idea that the Space Force is just pew, pew, pew is kind of a ridiculous argument. And this is where we're going anyway. So hmm. we probably, you know, like my problem with all regulation is that it always happens too late, right? Like look, look at what's going on these days with, the way the government talks about social media. It's like, well, you should have had these conversations 20 years ago, you know? And so let's, yeah. let's not wait until it's too late. Let's not wait until, like you said, right. China's which secret is, space force is suddenly Which <laughs> is sort of everything. why I feel that it should be a global space force and not a, a national space force, because then there are going to be those conflict right. in regulations because there's this regulation and there's this regulation. Well, once you get up in space, how do you know which one to follow? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, You're probably right. One of the, one of the weird mental stretches I try to do sometimes. Um, one is trying to imagine the end of the universe and just, that's uh -huh. like a really difficult thing to conceive inside the human mind. I don't know if anybody's been able to, to imagine that, but I, I, I often think, you know, like with all the things we have going on in the world today mm -hmm. that are plaguing people's lives, I try to think like, you know, 50,000 years from now, what do things look like? Like, what's the ultimate, yeah. what's the ultimate goal? And I mean, I know that's just all, that's a hundred percent speculation from my little tiny brain, Yeah. but is it just, do we just stay here and continue to orbit the earth orbit the sun on earth or yeah. is there another step is there a thing beyond that we get to yeah i mean fifty thousand years that's well i I, th I think the thing that's interesting is that probably what's going to happen is if if humans are still around we we, we probably will have it'll be at least cyborgs by then yeah exactly we'll, we'll have evolved exponentially so normally evolution takes whatever tens, hundreds, that millions of years to these very slow changes over time. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're going to sort of take ownership of even that process. So probably humans a hundred years from now will look different from the, what they do now. Yeah. So when you say 50,000 years, I don't know. I mean, probably we're the aliens, right? Probably we're the aliens and then we'll come back. Um, all, yeah. all of these, all of these space theories, probably if, if we keep building on our technology, 
we probably eventually create space travel, right? Like the, the, it must be the, the likely conclusion to all of this. Yeah. And I mean, I guess to what extent AI becomes a larger part of that or not. Um, no, it, no, my brain has there's, a hard there's, time there's no, there's but... no, there's no, or not there. <laughs> it's just whether or not humans have not, a say in it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Good. Did I convince yeah. you? Did I convince you that the space force is is actually somewhat necessary? I know um, travel is extremely limited these days for the uh, for the layman. But have you looked recently into how much it costs to have a space ride? Like in the millions of dollars, right? I, it's going to be a while mm. until that yeah. number comes down. I think. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's a very interesting topic and it's you know it's it's kind of hard to put into context if you don't live in that world right because it really is sort of, sort of a different world okay google tells me that in 2019 according to cnbc for approximately 52 million dollars per person you can purchase a seat to fly with spacex once elon musk's company begins flights yeah we're still a very far away 52 52 million yeah Oh, I'm a couple bucks short. Yeah, yeah. We'll get there. Yeah, like forty nine million nine hundred thousand yeah. ninety nine. Uh, one dollar like short. Fifty was the was the cutoff. Uh, okay. Our email address is Eric Explains Podcast at gmail.com. All of our all of our listener mail will be acknowledged on air. There's no listener email this week. Eric, I did realize. Hmm. that I believe we read three emails during the lost episode. Yeah. Yeah. I did mention them in last week's write-up. So if anybody came in to listen to episode seven, they were mentioned in the written portion. Oh, the really? episode explanation. Yeah, but anyway, sorry about uh, those three emails. And maybe someday you'll, you'll hear our, our acknowledgement. Uh, anything else, Eric? Uh, I guess that's it for today. All right, dude. Well, stay yeah. warm. Tomorrow's February. It's already February here. See? Oh, happy time, February. Time, first. Travel, time travel already exists, Eric. How did you do that? Right. Okay, dude. Signing <laughs> yeah. off. Have a good Bye. week.